He did a great job of stealing all of my thunder. For, no, just kidding. Um, that, was, that was really good. It's, it's easy to be discouraged these days, isn't it? We're, we're going to be talking today on prayer. I mean, we see political hostility, racial tension, world violence, and then, of course, there's this little pandemic that's been going on that's kind of distracted us from all of those other things that have been happening in our country, but they're still there, and there are still many, many times which we can struggle with um, with discouragement. Uh, and it's important to remember, as Pastor Michael said, and as we've, we've, we've said many times, that God is still in control. Uh, I have never doubted that, and I, and I pray and I hope that you too have never doubted that fact. Uh, today we're going to find encouragement in God's word as we tackle, as Pastor Michael started us out with, praying through a crisis. What does that look like? Uh, it should be the first place that we go, prayer, When we have any sort of difficulty, when we have any sort of praise, prayer is where we should go. But what does that mean? What does that look like? What what can it be like? Uh, We're given many examples in, in the Bible about prayer and how we are to engage in it. Jesus taught multiple times on how to pray. We see it in the Psalms. Uh, We we see it illustrated throughout the prophets, and we're going to be looking at some of those passages today, but our main passage, if you would turn there with me, is Daniel chapter 9. Turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel chapter 9. And in this passage, we're going to see six steps modeled in Daniel's life on praying through darkness, praying through a crisis. And we're just going to get right into it. And the first uh, step is this. We need to listen to God before we speak to him. I need to listen to God before I speak to him. Now, how do we listen to God? What does that look like? Well, to start off, God always makes the first move. God always makes the first move. He came to us. He created us. Jesus came to us. Jesus calls us. The Bible says that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. We serve God because God served us. We, uh, we give to God because God gave to us. Everything that we have is a gift from God. The air we breathe, the life we have, our mind, our brain, everything that we have comes to us from God. God made that first move. The reason we pray, the reason we talk to God is because God first talked to us, and he talks to us through his word. That is the main way that God talks to us, and we need to listen to him. God's inspired word. There are literally thousands of promises. There are thousands of ways that God speaks to us through his word in a supernatural way. As we read it, as we meditate on it, as we spend time in here, we will know how to pray. We will, he will speak to us as to what to pray, where to pray, and even when to pray. And that's exactly what Daniel did. We're going to see that today in chapter 9. Uh, in chapter 9, Daniel is an old guy now. He's 85 years old. He was 15 years old when, when he became a prisoner of war, and now he's going through multiple changes, uh, multiple things in his life, test after test after test. He's now served three different kings. He's been in three different administrations. We know that the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, and then the Persians defeated the Babylonians. And so now Daniel has a new boss. 
in chapter 9. He survived every administration, and no matter what is going on in the government around him, he keeps getting promoted. He keeps moving up, and now he wants to go home before he dies. He's 85 years old, and he knows that God has said through the prophet Jeremiah that that the Israel will be in Babylon for 70 years, and then God said, I'm going to bring my people back home. 70 years later, they're still a mess. They're, it, the, the city of Jerusalem is still a disaster. The people that are left there and the people that are in Babylon are still messed up. And, and Daniel's thinking, well, is, is God really going to bring us home? Uh, he's, he's beginning to wonder, are we going to be stuck here? This is his crisis. And we see today what Daniel does. Look at verses 1 and 2 in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, he was made ruler by Cyrus, who was a Persian. Now, Babylon is Iraq, Persia is uh, modern day Iran. He says in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Did you catch that? What was Daniel doing? He was studying the scriptures. He was listening to God. That's where we start. That's how we listen. In John 15, 7, Jesus said it this way, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, what's he talking about? How do we have Jesus' words? We have them right here, right? As uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Jesus says, my words, this book, put them in your mind, Learn them, invest in them, hide them in your heart. And when you do, as you do, whatever you ask, it will be done. Okay, hang with me on that thought. So we start with listening and we start with understanding. Daniel is saying, I'm studying the word. I'm going to have it with me. The more we fill our minds with God's word, the more answers we're going to have as we live through our life. Now, it's important, I believe, that we do this every day, that we are in the Word of God every day, uh, that we go to bed, that we don't go to bed without having read from the Word of God. Uh, Daniel, Daniel had the habit of praying three times a day. His entire life, Daniel prayed three times a day. We know it got him in trouble. We know that uh, God was able to show how powerful and sovereign he is in the midst of that, in, in the midst of Daniel's faithfulness in going to God three times a day. Think about this. How different do you think your life would be if you had a somewhat significant conversation with God three times a day for the rest of your life? Daniel, for, for 55 years, has spent this special time with God. I, I wonder how many problems and uh, poor decisions Daniel avoided because he stayed continually connected to his creator. I mean, it's no wonder he kept getting promoted, right? He was talking to God every day. 
we can establish that habit as well. We can have conversations with God throughout the day, even if it's as simple as, what next, Lord? What do you have for me? What do you you want to do? What do you want me to do? In chapter one, Daniel is worried about the crisis in his life and he starts reading the book of Jeremiah. Now, here's the thing about Daniel and Jeremiah. They're contemporaries. They're, they're, the, they're in the same generation. Jeremiah is back in Israel, prophesying, speaking on behalf of the Lord. Daniel is in Babylon, and, and Daniel has this copy of, of Jeremiah's uh, prophecy. When Babylon crushed Israel, okay, Daniel was taken prisoner to warp to Babylon, Jeremiah is left behind in a defeated, broken city. Um, uh, God tells Jeremiah this. Those guys are going to be there for 70 years. They're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah records that. Daniel, later, 70 years. I don't know how many years he's had the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy, the scroll that Jeremiah wrote. But he reads in that, and this is what he reads, and this is what he's studying. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 12. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you uh, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Now, we know that verse, right? But we often leave off that last phrase, which says, in those days when you pray, I will listen We just say sort of the first part of it as the promise, which it is. That's God's part. There's also a part necessary for us. You see, there's two factors involved in fulfilling your purpose in life. God's timing and your praying. God's timing and our praying. Both of these have an important role in in what God is doing and what he wants to do in your life. God's timing, what he's going to do, and your praying when you ask him to do something. Okay, so God says, when the time is right for me to fulfill my plan, you're all going to go back home, then you're going to have to do something. And what is that something? Pray. It's pray. And when you pray, what does God say? I will listen. I will listen. Here we see God's sovereignty. He's in control, but at the same time, we see our aspect. We see human responsibility. So hard for me to to understand and wrap my arms around God's sovereignty. Of course, it's impossible, right? He is so great that that we really can't uh, wrap ourselves about that. But we see God's sovereignty, that he's in control, and we also see that he's not forcing his plan on us. I don't think God forces his way into our lives. He wants us to ask. He, uh, we must ask. James describes it this way in chapter 4, verse 2. 
You do not have what you need because what? You don't ask. You don't ask. Now, wait, you might be thinking, so Pastor Dave, you're telling me that God has some things he wants to do in my life that are cool and good and great, but they're not going to have, that that I'm not going to experience unless I ask for it, and I'm saying, yes, that's absolutely true. God has timing. He is sovereign. He is in control, but we have praying, and he asks us to. He tells us to. He commands us to. Some things have not happened in your life because you've never asked God for them. Isn't that what James said? I mean, that's how I'm seeing it. You've never asked God to do these things in your life. He, God says, I intend to do it. I'm ready to do it, but I'm waiting for you to ask. You've got to pray for it to happen. You have not because you ask not. Now, this leaves a quandary in our life, doesn't it? So you've, you've gone through this before, right? How do I know when I'm waiting on God and how do I know when God's waiting on me? College students, I think, ask this question all the time. Somebody that's looking for a spouse is asking this question all the time. Is it, is, is, do I just need to be patient and wait on God or is it me? Do I need to take action? Is there something that I need to do? I think it's a great question, and, and it's like, you know, I really have this big dream for life, and, and I really think this is what God wants me to do with my life, but I don't know. It hasn't happened yet, so am I waiting on God, or is he waiting on me? If, if I've asked, okay, so let's think about it this way. This is how I want you to think about it. If, if you've asked God to do something really great in your life and you've been praying for it and you've been praying for it and you've asked and there's, not, there's nothing between you and him, your relationship is good, you've, you've been uh, very faithful in confessing sin, um, you're connected to the vine as Jesus talks about it, there, there doesn't seem to be anything between you and him, you've asked God um, you're in his word, you're reading the Bible every day, his word's in you. If, if you pray and you ask and that's all true and you haven't received an answer yet, I think then you're waiting on God. Continue to pray faithfully and wait. Be patient. It has to do with his timing. God says, I'll do it, but I'm just going to do it in my timing. On the other hand, if you have something really great that you would like God to do for you, which is how most of us think of that, well, if I ask God for anything, he's just going to give it to me, right? No. But that's what he said. Uh, It's deeper than that. If I have something really great that I would like for God to do in my life and, and, and I've always wanted God to do it, but I've never asked, I've never asked God to do it, never asked for God's help, never asked God for guidance in that dream, then God is waiting on me. If you haven't prayed about it, God is waiting on you. You have not because you ask not. Now, here is step two, and that actually kind of meddled into step two a little bit from step one because I was originally talking about, right, listening to God and then I started talking about asking God and so quickly we jumped there. So quickly, I, even in a pre-planned manuscripted sermon, I jumped from point one, which is listen to God, to point two, which is focus my attention on God. Actually, point three is ask. Point two is focus my attention on God. Look in, in verse three. It says this. Daniel says, so I turned to the Lord. I have this crisis. 
I'm studying the word, I'm listening for God, and as I'm listening, we talk, we've talked about this several times, I turn to the Lord. I face him, I focus on him. Now, husbands and children, some of you are, some of you are in the room today. Listen to this. There is an incredible gift that you can give to your mother or husbands, your wife. And this is what it is. Focus. It's focus. Now, my wife is laughing because she knows how I struggle with this personally. On Mother's Day, heaven forbid, especially on this day, but, but truthfully, every day of the year, when your wife or your mom, kids, wants to speak to you, put the phone down, pause the TV, turn it off, whatever, look at her in the eyes and give her your full attention. Man, moms and wives, you know how special it is and how, how really, I mean, it's just like, wow. It shows how much, how much you're cared for, right? Um, give her your undivided attention. That's what this point uh, is saying. I mean, everyone appreciates that, right? You, you think about the, the poor, uh, well, actually, real teachers might feel this way right now because they don't know if the person on the other end of that screen is actually paying attention or thinking or whatever, but, but a substitute teacher goes into a classroom, right? And, and, and they're trying to teach, but the kids aren't paying any attention to them. They're, they're, they're just all over the place. And the, teach, the, the substitute teacher kind of sounds like, you know, the teacher in Charlie Brown shows. Wah, 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 wah. That's all they're hearing. But if those students would give that substitute teacher their full attention, something would be done. Something would get done. Or like a child, have you ever had one of your kids uh, actually grab your face and pull it over so they're looking at you? Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm talking to you. I need you. Reminds me of the picture of the little kid in the sink in the kitchen that says, uh, could you tell my mom that, you know, drop my mom a Facebook message that she left me in the sink? Uh, we need to give our kids our undivided attention as well. The highest gift that we could give anybody is our attention. It's more important than chocolate, roses, or money. Giving your kids, your wife, your mom, your husband, your attention is the highest gift because your attention is your life. Uh, so, you know, we often, we often ask people to close their eyes when they pray. Um, and that, for me, that's mainly so I can try and concentrate, uh, especially if I'm in a room with other people. But but I would suggest in thinking about this, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, we see people go outside and hold their hands up to the, to the heavens and focus on God. Um, we need to focus our attention on God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. God says, you will find me when you seek me. Seeking is focusing. Here's another verse, a familiar one, Luke 12, 31. But seek his, God's kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. That's one of God's blanket promises. He says, don't seek health, seek God. Don't seek a relationship, seek, seek God. Don't seek fame, seek the kingdom, seek God. Don't seek pleasure, don't seek a husband, don't seek all these other things. Seek me first. Give me your attention. And if I'm in first place, I'm going to take care of everything else. 
Put me first, God says. Focus our attention on him. Here's the third step. Third step of praying through the darkness is bring our requests to him. Bring my request to him. In Daniel chapter 3, or in verse 3, uh, in the middle there, he says uh, that he came to, to, he focused on the Lord and he pleaded with him in prayer and petition. Daniel is certainly desperate. He was in crisis. He knew what he needed. He knew what he wanted. And, and what he wanted was actually what God wanted and had, had said was going to happen through the prophet Jeremiah. And that's what Daniel is pleading for. So he brings his request to God. Uh, Jeremiah describes it this way in Jeremiah 50. I didn't put this one up for some reason. He said, Then my people will join together in tears to seek the Lord, and they will ask the way to Jerusalem. They're lost. They will seek the way of the Lord. They will seek the Lord in tears. They didn't even know how to get back home. They will ask the way to Jerusalem and they will start back home again, God says. I mean, that, isn't that a touching verse, really? They don't even know how to get home, but they're going to ask God in tears. He's going to direct them. He's going to help them. You know, America needs to pray that prayer, don't we? As a nation. We've gotten so far off from where we started. <laughs> I pray that maybe this is sort of a, that initial nudge in the right direction for us as a nation. I, I don't know. It, it could go either way, honestly. It could divide us even further, or it could kind of help us become aware of things that are important and things that are not so important and focus on the important things. But we need to pray. We need to pray that God will show us the way home. You need to pray that prayer for your own life. Maybe, maybe you've seen glimpses of it over these last eight weeks. You were detached from God. You were busy and distracted. And this has given you an opportunity to, to kind of, it's kind of forced you to slow down a little bit and, and sort of think about your life. Maybe you don't even know how to find your way back home. You need to pray that prayer for your life. Ask. Ask. The fourth step to praying through the darkness is, I, I think God needs to know that we're serious about it. I mean, I can be pretty, I can get pretty uh, laissez-faire when it comes to prayer. You know, it's this ongoing casual conversation with God throughout the day, which I think is important, but I think there are also those times, those important times when we need to we need to hunker down and we need to get serious about what we're asking God for. Um, that's how Daniel is praying here. He's in crisis. His people are in crisis. There's three ways in this verse 3 that Daniel shows God his seriousness. Two of them um, are, were cust cultural customs which we don't do in America and I don't think anybody does anywhere else. Uh, in the world today, but one of them is a spiritual discipline that's been going on, that had been going on for centuries and has continued through the centuries to today. Uh, end of verse 3, Daniel pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So today, no one dons scratchy burlap, which is what sackcloth was, 
and, and lies in or rubs ashes onto their bodies to somehow make it uncomfortable to prove their seriousness. But something that we do do today that Daniel did is fast. We do practice that. Now, some people practice it because they have a blood test tomorrow and they're supposed to fast for 12 hours, right? Or, or somebody might do a fast for some sort of health reason. But in this case, um, what the Bible refers to as a fast is foregoing food or some other thing in your life, abstaining from it as to free up the time that you would spend in that or the sort of the uncomfort that that creates to help you focus more on God. Uh, Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. The Israelites fasted before they went into many, many major battles. Nehemiah fasted before he began a major building project. We, we should too. Jesus fasted in victory over temptation. The very first Christians fasted during decision-making times in their life. We need to in some way show God that we are serious about this. For some, it might be a prayer closet, a, a prayer on their wall, and they're there every day at a certain time to pray for this, to stand in the gap for a family member, or to plead before God for something or someone. Let's show God that we're serious. The fifth step to praying through the darkness is to confess our sin humbly and specifically. Verse 4. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoken your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And Daniel continues in the following verses. He is humbly confessing. God doesn't listen to prideful complaining, but he does listen to confession in humility. God responds to humility. Multiple times the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. The humble, to admit that God is right, that, that that was a sin, don't excuse it, don't say, well, God, you know, it really wasn't that big a deal, but to confess it before him. Say, no, it was wrong, it was a sin, it was rebellion against you, I did it, please forgive me. You told me not to, but I did it anyway. When we humbly confess, God responds with grace, not shame, not judgment, with grace. Look at verse 5. Daniel says, we have sinned and done wrong. But he doesn't stop there. He gets very, very specific. And we need to as well. I mean, I'm sure you've prayed a prayer like this. God, would you please forgive all the sins that I did yesterday? Right? I don't, I'm not sure about that. That seems like a pretty sort of short, quick blanket thing. I think, I think in, in true humility, there needs to be some, some thought, some meditation. God, like David, God, show me. Show me what shouldn't be in my life. And then we confess it specifically. 
God, forgive me for looking at that picture in that magazine or on that TV show the way that I did yesterday. I mean, that's, that really gets personal, doesn't it? We need to be personal about confession. Now, we're all at fault here. I mean, every generation. It's not just one generation. I mean, right, we like to point to the, to the, uh, to, uh, to the millennials and say, oh, they're going to screw up our country. Yeah, well, how did the millennials get to be the millennials? Who are their parents? Every generation bears responsibility. There's, there's no way to point the finger back and say it's all their fault. No, it's our fault too. And that's exactly what Daniel is doing here. In America, every generation has part of the blame. Uh, look at verses 7 and 8. Daniel says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Generation to generation to generation. In verse 10, he says, you told us what was right and wrong. You told us what's morally good and what's not, and we didn't follow it. Instead of listening, in verse 13, he says, we kept on sinning, never giving you a second thought, oblivious to your clear warnings. So, God, he says there, you had no choice but to let disaster loose on us since we persistently and defiantly ignored you. And then he sums it up in verse 16, and he says, our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds a lot like America to me in the laundry list of wrongs we've been committing for the last however long our nation has been in existence. We need to humbly confess our sin. And it starts with us here in this room, you watching at home. Also included in Daniel's prayer is finally the sixth part. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of God's love and promises. David did this all the time too. I, 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 I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 23 for some reason. Sounds like I've heard a sermon or two on it here recently. Every, when, every time I'm turning around, I, I hear somebody say something or I think about something or I think about a problem and it takes me back to the good shepherd and the, the valley of death and I don't have to fear it. The shadow, I turn away from the shadow and look at Jesus, the good shepherd. The Bible says that when we ask, we ask with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not a holiday if you're a believer. It's an attitude for your entire life. We are to live with the attitude of gratitude. As, as Daniel prays, he reminds himself of how good God is. How gracious God is and how grateful he is to God. And Daniel, uh, verse 4 then I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, you are a great and awesome God in the actual intent of the word awesome. Awe-inspiring. You always fulfill your promises. It's almost like Daniel is also trying to remind himself that God has prom- God said 70 years. We're here. God, you keep your word. You say it. You always fulfill your promises of constant love. I'm fickle, God is not. I'm unfaithful to you, Lord, but you're not unfaithful to me. 
He keeps his promises of constant love to those who love you and keep your commands. Now look at Daniel 9.9. He says, even though we have rebelled against you, you, Lord, are merciful and forgiving. You just, just tell God, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that you're God and I'm not. Right? God, you're grateful, you're loving and forgiving and good and merciful. We thank God for his love and his promises. Now, Daniel knows that we don't deserve God's blessing, but he casts himself on the grace of God. He says, here I am, Lord. You are a good, good father and you're merciful. Now, the final question is this. How does God respond to Daniel's prayer? What does God do? Well, in Daniel 20 through 23, here's how God responds. Daniel says, while I kept on praying. Okay, so Daniel, this wasn't just a one-shot deal. Daniel just didn't pray and and then wait. He prayed this prayer probably three times a day. We don't know how long. God, I need your help. He kept on praying. While I kept on praying, he says, and confessing my sin, and confessing the sins of my people and pleading with the Lord, suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared in my vision. The angel Gabriel. Now, there are three archangels. We know their names. The first one was Lucifer. He fell, became Satan. There's Michael and there's Gabriel. Gabriel, if you remember, was the angel that showed up at Christmas with the message. I mean, we actually know their names, right? If you ever have an angel appear before you and he says, hey, I'm, I'm Gabriel, whoa, I've heard about you. After you pick yourself up off the floor because you're so freaked out. Okay, anyway, sorry about that. Um, this, this is important because God sends the angel Gabriel in a vision to Daniel and he says, uh, suddenly while I'm doing all of this praying, the angel Gabriel appeared in my vision and he said this, Daniel, I've been sent, obviously by God, to help you understand God's plan. The moment you began praying, an answer was given and I'm here to tell you, for God loves you very much. Now, God doesn't have to send Gabriel to us. Because we have the second half of the Bible, the New Testament that was written for us, and we, we know about Jesus and his love and, his, and the salvation that we find in him. God answers our prayers. I, I can tell you right now what God is saying. He's saying, I love you very much, and I care about your concerns. Now, my timing might be different, and I need you to be patient, but keep praying, keep asking, continue Now, you also might be thinking, oh, sure, Pastor Dave, this is God talking to Daniel. I'm not Daniel. This angel came to Daniel. I'm not Daniel. You know what? You and I are no different than Daniel in this. We we were created by God in the image of God. We are red-blooded human beings, fallible, just like Daniel was. He wasn't perfect. He needed the love of Jesus just as much as we do. Now, these same exact steps, worship team, you guys can come on up here. I'm going to wrap this up. 
These same exact steps can be found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I've already read it. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But, but I also, again, want you to understand that it's also one of the most misused and misquoted verses in the Bible. I mean, I've actually heard politicians quote this verse as a promise from God to America. It's not a promise to any one nation. It is a promise from God to God's people. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, this is a promise for you because you are one of his people. It's it's a promise for believers anywhere else, in any nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. All of the elements of Daniel's prayer are in that promise. We can claim that promise, memorize that passage, but don't forget the if, and it's a big if, isn't it? He says if, in fact, I would like to, in my own thinking, replace that word if with when. Just be bold for myself and say, when, when I, who is, who, who is called by God's name, humble myself. I don't know where you are, where you need healing. I don't know if it's in your mind or your heart or your body or your business or your finances or your relationships. Healing from your fears or in I know, I know our nation needs healing. If my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves, admit they blew it, admit their need, whatever it is, I am pleading God, I am humbling myself before you, and I pray, I seek your face, I'm focusing on you. God, I'm looking at you, turning from my ways. God says, then, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin. I will heal you. I will heal your land. My challenge is, let's practice these steps this week. Let's listen to God before we speak. Let's meditate on his word. Let's focus on him. Let's give him our focus. Let's bring our request. Let's be serious about it. Oh man, let's humbly confess our sin as specifically as we can and let's praise him for his goodness. For his promises. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are here, those that are with us online, because I know there are still lots out there who are watching online this morning. Oh Lord, we pray that you would reunite us all in the coming weeks. Father, give wisdom to our leaders, give wisdom to us as we follow you faithfully. Oh Father, and help us. Help us to focus on you, to cry out to you. And God, I thank you for this, this church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people that are here and that are out there who are resilient, 
who are faithful, who, who trust you and know that you are sovereign and are living their lives that way, who, who, who are able to go with the flow. God, thank you for all that you're teaching us. But thank you that, that I have experienced your grace and your mercy that, that I know our church has experienced and now are passing that grace and mercy on to others. Thank you. Father, we want to worship you with these last couple songs. In Jesus' name, amen.